Hey there, I'm Edwina Kennedy, registered pediatric dietitian and mom of two, and this is the My Little Eater podcast. Each week, I'll be dishing out all the best info on feeding and nutrition for your baby and toddler, answering all of your what do I do when scenarios, and helping you gain complete confidence in not only feeding your child, but in parenting as well. Every episode is filled with actionable and proven feeding strategies delivered by a mama and a feeding expert who's been there and done that. I hold your hand and take you step-by-step through all stages of feeding while showing you how to implement what I teach you so that you can raise a happy and healthy little eater of your own. Let's do this. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Today I have a very special guest. Her name is Dr. Christine Sterling. So Dr. Sterling is a board-certified OBGYN and a mom on a mission who is dedicated to ensuring women get the maternal care and support they deserve. She obtained her bachelor's degree in neuroscience from the University of Southern California and then continued at USC for her medical degree. She supports modern women to confidently and calmly navigate their reproductive journey with fierce compassion and determination to challenge the status quo when it comes to women's health. So welcome, Dr. Sterling, to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So fun fact, I actually got my first degree in neuroscience as well. No way. I love it. Yes. It was my favorite time, I will say, in university, believe it or not. So it's super cool. Once I saw that fact on your website, I was like, ah, I was like immediate bond, I felt. Yeah. (laughs) I felt like to you, which was awesome. But I know that you are so much more than your degrees. So I am wondering if you can just start us off by telling everybody how you started this journey, not just as an OBGYN, but how you have become such a strong supporter of mothers on the emotional side as much as on the medical side. Yeah. Well, you know, um, One, I actually use my neuroscience degree a fair amount. I feel like understanding how the human brain works is really helpful and just navigating life and understanding pressures that we put on ourselves, especially as mothers. And this journey really for me started, obviously I was an OBGYN before I became a mom and I thought I got it, but I really, really didn't. And the thing that kind of pushed me over into this totally different path was after I had my first daughter just realizing, you know, with everything I knew about postpartum and and birth and all of that, and all of the support that I had, and, you know, all of my advantages in life, it was still really, really challenging. And some of the things that were challenging about it were because of the uh, the traits that I had that had gotten me to the point of being a you know being a board certified physician I was determined and I was hardworking and I was goal oriented and 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 very much achievement oriented and then motherhood happened and it's like none of those things were helping me they were actually kind of hurting me because I kept trying harder and it wasn't necessarily getting better you know breastfeeding wasn't necessarily getting better because I was trying harder. And I had put so much pressure on myself to be all of these things. And usually outside of motherhood, that worked for me. Like I was able to achieve whatever I put my mind to because I just work as hard as it took. But that determination just didn't necessarily translate to motherhood. So I really developed a passion for women and specifically for women who have a perfectionist streak or or have that achievement streak um, because it can be really difficult for us to transition to the challenges of pregnancy, postpartum, and just motherhood in general. 
Wow. Yeah. That speaks to me a lot. And for, I know my interns who are probably listening to this and any other dietitian out there, we always actually make fun of ourselves because we're all type A perfectionists in our program. And one of the things that forget motherhood, because that is, like you said, it just throws you for a curveball. Like it's something you cannot prepare for. It doesn't help, you know, having that personality trait at all. I fully agree. But I even know, like even just going into the real world and I'm always telling my, my interns, like, that is not serving you and you've got to let go of that perfectionist mindset. And you know what? Now I'm going to throw in the spin and it's going to help prepare you better for motherhood to let go of that. Like I need to do everything perfectly. And I am actually going to ask you a question more so on that perfectionism and motherhood just a little bit later into the episode, because it's something that I feel like it affects me so, so much. And I'm sure everyone out there that's listening, it's such a common thing. So yeah, today I do really want to focus on navigating the standards of perfection that we place on ourselves as mom and also navigating mom shame. So you actually caught my attention when I first saw your IGTV video, when you were responding to the backlash that uh, Chrissy Teigen got receiving, or sorry, I should say regarding uh, her trying to normalize formula feeding. And it spoke so much to me, the way you put it, the way you framed it, it just hit the nail on the head. And it was something that I had actually posted about earlier that day, something that was really emotional to me and close to my heart because I experienced a lot of mom shame around my decision to stop breastfeeding my first son. I remember at six months and actually a lot of that mom shame for me came, that feeling came from comments that came from my doctor. And I think that maybe perhaps because again, as a dietitian, I really value the medical community's opinions. And I think funny enough, like although other moms, other opinions definitely affected me, I think that's the one that really affected me the most. And so I wanted to get your perspective on what's your opinion for how we can help, you know, obviously educate mothers on the benefits of breastfeeding and, you know, provide them educated options, but also support them from a more holistic perspective, you know, rather than just like a medical or a nutritional perspective. Yeah. So it's all about context. Okay. Context, context, context. Is breast milk magical, wonderful stuff? Yes. Is it the only input into your child's health and happiness? No, absolutely not. And so we act like <laughs> we we act like it is, right? We act like, oh, you didn't breastfeed, your child's gonna have asthma. You know, there was the the study that looked at breastfeeding and IQ, and they didn't control for like mom's education level. And the fact was that the higher the education level, actually mom or the breastfeeding parent was more likely to breastfeed. So, you know, then we have this idea out there that, oh, breast milk makes your baby smarter. And it's like, no, probably more highly educated parents have more support and thus are able to continue breastfeeding. So um, here's one thing we, we have very clear data on. Untreated depression is directly tied to cognitive development of your children. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what that tells me is not like, Oh, you know, shaming a mom who has depression and has a child. What that tells me is a parent's well-being is directly tied to the cognitive development of their children. So let's stop acting like a breastfeeder is literally just a milk supply. This is a human being. We are in a family with context, with many different inputs, genetic, you know, nutritional, 
Um, where do you live in the world? What's your socioeconomic status? I mean, there are so many different inputs. And like, for whatever reason, it is as if breast milk is the sole source of, of health and happiness for our children. That's just not the case. Oh my God, 100% agree. And I, I know also you said something on Instagram once that you are more important to your baby than your breast milk is. And again, resonated with me like crazy because that was a big reason for me for why not only did I start with my first, but I was scared to start with my second is my mental health yeah. and my anxiety that I experienced around it. And I, I know I experienced a depression uh, you know, at that during that time period as well around that. And going back to that inner achiever personality, um, which again, you you post the most hilarious reels and videos on this topic. <laughs> if you guys haven't seen it, you have to check out her Instagram. We'll link it for sure in the show notes, but you have to watch these videos. They like are so spot on, you know, that personality trait that makes us want to work, work, work and push, push, push until we've reached our goal. So I'm wondering what advice can you give moms about the best way to set a goal for herself around feeding her baby, knowing also when it might not be working and how can she pivot without beating herself up, you know, if she wants to or has to switch? Yeah. So the goal has to change. Like I personally, and if this, you know, this may not resonate with everyone, this may not align for everyone, but for me, an actual number of weeks, months, whatever does not work for me. Mm-hmm. My goal is to continue a breastfeeding relationship as long as it is mutually beneficial to both me and my baby. And if it is, it is honoring my values, you know, I, I really value having a, an impact in the world. I really value, um, having fun and joy in with my children, like joy is one of our family values. And so, you know, when I'm making a decision about whether to continue breastfeeding or what to do with feeding, I always go back to those family values. And I always go back to our overall goal is that this should be a mutually beneficial relationship that is in alignment with our family's values. And health is also a, a value, but realizing again, that we have this idea that we are creatures that are connected. We are socially connected creatures. We are connected to everything. So stress and anxiety and depression, like this affects us on a cellular level. So are the environment that our children are in, are they in an environment where someone's really stressed and anxious? And you know, from your neuroscience background that really our our children's brains really grow to mirror ours in a lot of ways. And not necessarily just what we say, but what we do and how we live our lives. So to me, it's like, let's stop separating out all these components. Just look at the big picture. What is best for your family in the big picture so that you can have a calm, you know, joy-filled home? Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And I like that you definitely phrase it, you know, again, put in the perspective of what are your family values. And it's not just about like that, you know, what nutrients are going into your baby's body. It's like, you know, your baby's health is directly related to you and your relationship with your baby. And when you step back and look at it from that perspective, and then in turn, like your probably relationship with your partner and with your other kids and, you know, your lifestyle and the whole thing really, really makes such a difference in your baby's health. So if we can almost frame it that way, you know, joy is a nutrient. Joy is a nutrient. Connection is a nutrient. Like we, 
we are, and that's why I say that I use my neuroscience degree a lot because we are social creatures. We are creatures that, that deserve, you know, joy and we need curiosity and all of these things. Like, you know, we, we act like they're, they're intangibles, but that's what life is made of. And so oftentimes when we feel um, when we're struggling because life is hard, right? We're struggling. We will kind of hyper-focus on like, okay, a, an exact nutrient and how am I feeding my baby and like tangible stuff that we can control. But, you know, I, I really encourage people to back up, look at the big picture and say, like, what can I do that will bring more calm and joy and presence into my life and oftentimes that's not hyper-focusing on one aspect of our child's development or one aspect of their nutrition or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yes, 100%. Let's talk about mom shame a little bit more. Yeah. Um, even though I know this is something that persists throughout motherhood in general, I know it's especially strong and especially overwhelming in those first few years postpartum when you're kind of like hit in the face with comments left, right, and center, opinions and judgments about, mm-hmm. you know, everything like how you dress your baby to you know what you again what you feed it and are you sleep training are you not like a million things and then you're also trying to stay afloat and just trying to keep this little baby alive and like navigate this whole new state and at least from my understanding you know there is a difference between mom guilt and mom shame and like mom shame is so much more to the core where you believe you yourself it's not like you did something that you regret or like you did something that you wish you didn't do it's like you yourself are bad you're a bad person. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like to be labeled by others, but also to internalize that label of like, you're a bad mom. It's like the worst thing Ooh. possible that any mom yeah. can take. And again, especially in those really sensitive, you know, fourth trimester and a couple years after postpartum, it's so hard. What advice would you give moms in that fourth trimester, especially those who are going through things for the very first time as a new mom? on how to handle criticism or maybe comments from family members who think maybe they're trying to help, but really they're just causing you to feel bad to kind of fall into that shame spiral, almost crippling you so that you don't even trust yourself to make decisions anymore. Do you have any advice? Yeah. So one in the, in the middle of the fourth trimester is a really challenging time to have perspective and to, to work through these criticisms because you're sleep deprived and you're overwhelmed. And so sometimes what you need to do while you're in the thick of it is you can't even see the big picture or, or, you know, work out how you actually feel about these things, but really just setting a very clear boundary. And it's uncomfortable at first. If you're not used to setting boundaries, it's uncomfortable at first, but it gets easier. And a, a boundary is really just you don't even have to explain. You don't have, you know, as women, we're, we're taught that we have to explain, anytime we set a boundary, we have to explain the why, but saying, I would appreciate if you did not give me advice unless I asked you, you can provide an explanation or not. And it's important to me if, if I'm going to let you into this space that you respect that. And if you aren't able to, that's okay. I'm going to need some time away and some space and you can explain yourself. You can explain that those comments or criticisms are, are not landing very well for you right now. But if somebody's really making you feel like you're not a good mom or you're less than a mom, when you're not in the fourth trimester and you're not sleep deprived, maybe you can have like a more detailed conversation with them. Maybe you can really get 
be vulnerable and, and be there with them. But when you're sleep deprived and you're like in pain and you're just trying to figure out those early days as a brand new mom, sometimes you just need space from the people that are bringing that negativity and that criticism into your space. And later on, you can kind of deal with it in a more, um, a more comprehensive manner as opposed to just like hard stop wall. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like almost like you have to handpick who's going to surround you in those really critical, sensitive times. It would be good. It would be so good. I mean, how many things do we wish that we knew when we were, when we first found out we were pregnant? Like imagine these were the things that were taught to us, (laughs) you know, like only your closest and best friends who love you and care for you. And you know, who, you know, this and that are there. Like, I feel like we need a handbook around, around that kind of thing. It's I mean, it's funny that you say that I, created a online course called prepared postpartum with a licensed marriage and family therapist for that exact reason. Like one of the, one of the modules we walk people through is like, all right, let's write down your support network. And let's not just like mm-hmm. say, oh, this is your support network, but let, let's really think about these people. Are these people that when you come to them with a problem, they're trying to one up you? Are these people who are like, oh, it's not that bad. And, you know, some people can really sit with you in a painful experience or difficult experience and just be there and not try to fix it, not try to minimize it. So like if you have a friend who you know minimizes your pain every single time you bring something to them fourth trimester, maybe that's a time to really keep that person, you know, have a boundary with that person. They don't even have to know. Right. But like, and learning how to establish boundaries, really starting in pregnancy is ideal because people really cross boundaries, even in pregnancy. It's like the second you have a positive pregnancy test, the whole freaking world has an opinion about what you should and shouldn't be doing. And we can talk about why that is, but at the end of the day, that's what happens. You have a positive pregnancy test. Suddenly your body is free for comment. You will get unsolicited advice. People question what you're eating. If you're having a coffee, I mean, it is incredible. Yeah. It's, uh, it's probably the most overwhelming experience I could ever imagine. I mean, anyone really goes through any woman, especially. And I want to pivot really quickly back Mm -hmm. to kind of that idea of perfectionism in motherhood. Because like I said, it's like an illness that I think that I'm affected with. Like it's in our society and I just feel like it affected me so much, you know, that like I need to be perfect at all times. You know, I need to always have a clean house. I need to be working out and taking care of myself. Like even self-care became this level of perfectionism for me. And I'm like, (laughs) I need to make sure I'm always doing that. If I missed it, like, oh no, I'm not doing a good job. Or like, yeah, that I always have a home cooked meal made or a million and one things. And I can't think of anywhere else in our lives that we would ever set perfectionism as a standard. Like, yeah, this is the outcome. It has to be perfect. Like there's nowhere else besides motherhood. I'm just wondering with your experience with with helping moms and your own experience as a mother when you, you know, I'm sure you've gone through this, where do you think the standards of perfection come from? Are they, again, just things that we put on ourselves? Do you feel like it's social media? Do you feel like it's just this longing, like ingrained thing in our culture forever? And why? Like, where does this come from? Oh, well, I mean, it's 100% the patriarchy. Like 100%. Let's think about it. For for other gen- the generations below us, this is not the case. But really, if we think about where, where do we get our ideas about what a good mom is? Well, I know I certainly got them from the books that I read as a child growing up. 
I certainly got them from the television that I watched, the movies that I watched, and then the mothers in my own life. So those were like my primary inputs for developing this idea of, you know, this, what a woman and what a mother was. All right, who created those female characters in books, TV, movies? For the most part, they were created by men. And it's not like I'm, you know, I hate men and they're terrible, but they, they don't necessarily live a female experience. So a lot of those characters were very two-dimensional. We have good moms and we have bad moms, and we don't really have a lot in between. And so, you know, those who identify as female have also been um, often told that we can't necessarily trust ourselves. We can't trust ourselves with finances. We can't trust ourselves with big decisions. And we can't trust ourselves to measure our own success internally. We have to look externally for this measure of, am I a good mom or not? How am I measuring up to this externally provided idea of a good mom that is a two-dimensional character that was mostly developed by men? So we don't get any of the nuance of her experience, right? Like if you grew up seeing the story of women presented in a way that was three-dimensional, it had texture, you understood that women were, were more than just like a romantic interest or more than just a good mom or a bad mom, but was like a person with a backstory, like male characters have always been given, then you might not have this idea of like, oh, a good mom is perfect in all of these ways, right? So the, really the revolution is for us as mothers is to say, okay, I cannot trust this external vision of the good mom because it has been provided to me by the patriarchy as a two-dimensional character that has never existed in time. Okay, where do I get my measuring stick from? Well, why don't we just create our own? Why don't we just sit down with a pen and paper and say, what are my unique strengths as an individual? And I promise you, your unique strengths as an individual are also your unique strengths as a mom. They are one in the same. I am very imperfect in many areas of motherhood. For example, it's funny that you have me on here because I am terrible at feeding my children. <laughs> my husband makes them these wonderful, nutritious meals. He's on top of like making sure they're trying new foods. If I am at home, especially my, my baby will cry. So that's like easy breezy. But my, my three-year-old is like, literally at 3 p.m. is like, I'm hungry. And oh, I'm yeah. Like, Shoot. <laughs> I, I eat like twice a day. I oftentimes ignore my own hunger. So I will just like not feed her. Okay. <laughs> I could think like, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible mom. I don't, I don't think that because that's not my strength. It just isn't. But I have a lot of other gifts to give her and I'm not going to beat myself up about not being perfect in the areas. It's just not me. So, you know, for me, when I started defining what being a good mom was for myself and only against my own measuring stick and ignoring the this false idea of the good mom from externally. I mean, I'm a better mom. I'm a better me. I'm happier. And you get to just like let go of all of that stuff. Like, yeah, it's easier. <laughs> oh my God. I You gave me chills, honestly, with that answer. I'm so incredibly grateful to have you here and to just give this perspective. And I feel like we need obviously way more of this talked about whether it comes from an, an expert in like a medical professional like you, but 
even just moms to other moms, you know, like we yeah. have to have these supports, these conversations, these groups. I often feel like sometimes social media, it can be a blessing. I mean, again, I found you this way and, you know, so many right. people find me that way. But at the same time, it's like this galaxy, this like place where you just find all these triggering you know, posts and images and comments and standards. Really, it is the standards that people decide to show what is good and, you know, what looks perfect on the outside. And then you're comparing yourself against that. So it just really reinforces it. So it's like, we have to go through this cleanse. Like, I love that idea of redefining what is a good mom and finding, you know, others who also believe that, you know, and trying to surround yourself with that messaging. Like the There's only a way. beautiful thing called an unfollow button. Yeah. And if, if somebody if you're coming across content that makes you feel less than, you don't have to expose yourself to that. Obviously, there's the explore page and you can be exposed mm-hmm. to things you don't follow and stuff. But the other thing that I always come back to is humans are humans are humans are humans. There are not these mystical humans. I'm telling you, they don't exist. These mystical humans that children are always in like a perfect bow and a per- and perfect clothes and their house is always just perfect. That life doesn't exist. So when I see like those perfectly curated photos, I just like, you just zoom out and you're like, that was hard work. That was a lot of hard work. There was a lot of photos there. You know, that was stressful. So when I see that perfect photo, I don't say, oh, I wish I had that life. I say, oh, thank God I'm not taking those photos today. (laughs) That looks stressful, you know, because I I think we do have this idea that other people have more hours in the day or have it easier. And certainly, listen, some people have more help than others. They're more economically advantaged and they're able to, you know, that can make life a lot easier, but humans are humans are humans are humans. So people are still having difficult days. They're, they're having, uh, they're losing their shit on their kid once in a while. Like it, we're all still human. Yes. Oh my gosh. Love that perspective so much. Dr. Sterling, where can we go to find out more about you, about your courses and just how we can get more support? Yeah. Come hang out with me on Instagram. I am at Dr. Sterling OBGYN. Amazing. Easy peasy. All right. I will have that linked in the show notes. And I just want to thank you so, so much for being here with us today and, and, uh, and chatting about this super important topic. And I really would love to be able to have you on again soon. Oh, I would love to come on again. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks so much. 